Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Ovnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. Hello and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Commentary track number two out of our over 100 episodes. Only the second to enter the final frontier of full-blown commentary track. We've been teasing this one for a while, so it should come as no surprise. Uh, Joined, as always, by my co-host, Julio. Hello. Julio. Good evening. And joining us once again, uh, no stranger to the podcast, uh, but here once again to help us out with a commentary track from Other Worlds Austin Film Festival, Reed Lansford. Reed, how are you doing on this chilly Friday evening? Happy uh, Thanksgiving. Did did you say Friday? I did, because it feels like a Friday, (laughs) but it's actually a Wednesday. I didn't know if there was a timeline we were supposed to. Yes. Well, happy Thanksgiving Eve or Friday. You can edit this later. Yeah, this will work out as it does, but... uh, yeah, big Friday vibes today. So, not a Friday, but more of a nightmare. We're here to visit Wes Craven's 1994 yeah. um, movie, Wes Craven's <laughs> New Nightmare. It is a movie. The seventh entry in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Why did y'all pick this? Like, I was curious because, like, you did, like, the first one in the terrible remake. And, like, was there any kind of... Because we wanted to have you on, we wanted to bridge it. So you, it's it's an apology to you, really. <laughs> we wanted to bridge it because we wanted to. We always try to have you on around the time of other worlds to, uh, you know, kind of go into that. And also, it made sense coming from the autumn of remakes into this because this personally is the only nightmare movie that I truly enjoy. And you and I have discussed that. And Julio, having not found much redeeming from the original, I was like, all right, we'll get something out of this for you. So. There is no um, Rooney Mara. Rooney Mara, thank you. And and um, what's Rorschach's name? Kate Mara. Kate Mara. <laughs> Jackie Earl Haley. So this is a commentary track, not our usual setup. So if you are listening at home and have this synced up with your new Nightmare DVD and or Blu-ray, press play now. Could they have a laser disc of New Nightmare, or was this just? way after oh and if it gives you the option for widescreen or full screen always always widescreen. widescreen we do need to build in a break in case they are using the laser disc because they will need to take it out <laughs> and flip it over. uh th- i didn't learn until the most recent year of my life that criterion had several releases on uh laser, laser. disc mm-hmm. the uh half price books up the street i found um uh brazil they had like the four disc laser disc set of that so here in the beginning if you've seen new nightmare or if you haven't this is all just a bunch of setup so as i mentioned we were having read on uh in 
correlation with the other world's Austin Film Festival. So, Reed, tell us where we need to go, what we need to see, what we need to do. Uh, just this is your time to plug any and everything about other worlds. Well, this well, I'm nightmare goes interested on. now because I haven't seen this in years and I forgot that they did the opening that was the opening of the original again. So. Well, then you had your chance to plug your festival, and instead you decided <laughs> okay, to well, be mesmerized by the opening nightmare. Uh, no, it's uh, a week from tomorrow night. Uh, Otherworld's awesome. Check us out at otherworldsfilmfest.com. Sci-fi and horror. Uh, you guys will both be there this year. Um, yeah, it's uh, we have a really great lineup. Our guest of honor is Nicholas Meyer, the guy who uh, co-wrote and directed Star Trek Wrath of Khan and Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country. We're actually showing Star Trek six with him there and uh, as well as his film time after time. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, yeah, really great lineup. You can check it out online. Uh, one I'm really excited about. We have a local horror comedy anthology called scare package was shot here and we're going to have a bunch of people from the film here and uh, yeah, check it out and uh, buy a badge. There's still some available and um, website. What's the website? Uh, Otherworldsfilmfest.com. And Twitter, social media, I guess. Uh, I think we're just at Otherworlds ATX. Okay. And it all goes down at the Galaxy Theater. Galaxy Highland, one of the oldest theaters in uh, Austin. But it's a good theater. Yes, it is. <laughs> Great theater. Yeah. I saw Force Awakens the day it came out at 8.15 in the morning at that theater. So They added a very good beer and wine selection in the last year. So, oh, wow. As is the move. All these... Uh, archaic franchises are having to adopt it that is the biggest box of chinese food but see oh. it wasn't a box of <laughs> okay chinese food. it's establishing uh you know the connection like oh, i can goof around with my kid all right so we're seeing already here we're on the set of a nightmare movie uh and i forgot we're introduced this quickly to miko hughes obviously we needed to pay mind to heather langenkamp who my god aged very well um still looks great today yeah does she do much of a convention scene uh, circuit uh, I think so. Um, her thing is the big she's, ones. She's actually uh, not the guy who's playing her, but she's been married for a long, long time to a guy who was a special effects guy. Mm -hmm. um, and I think their career now is they just have like a special effects and makeup house out in L.A. And I think she kind of transitioned into uh, doing that. Uh, Julio, before I go back to you, while I'm still in the Miko, ah. Miko Who's Hughes train of thought. Uh, spawns because <laughs> really yeah also yeah. in um mercury rising oh yeah he's the kid yeah. from mercury rising yeah, yeah. and uh i wasn't uh, uh pet cemetery is his pet breakout cemetery when he was like maybe three or four years old yeah. yeah so he was set to take over the world and that did not come to fruition i mean he had uh he had a good run a career for i'm sure he still gets royalties and he probably, like, having done horror movies, like all these guys, probably works the convention circuit. I thought you were going to say, like, all these guys, he's he's had a well-adjusted childhood, <laughs> having grown up around all this stuff. Well, Mercury Rising, that's Bruce Willis and Alec Baldwin, right? Yeah. yeah. And he plays a, an autistic kid in that movie, which he is... He discovers the the code that the NSA creates uh, that's... <laughs> in, like, uh, in, like, a highlights magazine, and Alec Baldwin decides they have to kill him. Always a good idea, too. <laughs> and Bruce Willis is like, uh, no, I can't let that happen. The 90s were wild. That and along 90s, the right? way, um, Miko Hughes and Bruce Willis, they teach each other something about themselves. <laughs> I just remember the poster is... Uh, 
it's Mercury rising in huge block letters and the color palette is blue and he's got him like nestled into his bosom. Yep. Why okay. we would remember the <laughs> promotional art for that. I don't know. So this is like, um, I remember like the famous, like 94 earthquake in LA happened, I guess when they were shooting this. So they decided to like work it into the script. Well, they really work it because I, so I finally watched this movie for the first time a few days ago. I was about and, to lead into that. Yeah. Yeah. So the stole my thunder. Sorry, sorry. I just because the, the the earthquake thing, it's so pervasive throughout the movie. It's mm. almost like as big a threat as Freddy. <laughs> yeah, and it's one of those. It's kind of the happy accident of it. Where it happened in real life, and it works into the story. Isn't there tell. a part like there the house? There's stress fractures in the house that are in the the pattern the, of the the, the, the claw. claw. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, it's kind of one of those happy accidents. Who's a uh, homeboy here? The husband? Is he of any note? Uh, I I don't know. Off the Who's top this of my head. stud? He doesn't hang around long. So, so spoiler, uh, sorry, Julio. We watched the original for the podcast. Meh. Was that your first time seeing the original? I can't remember. Uh, no, it was my second time watching it beginning to end. And you committed to it after this when we decided we we're going to do this commentary track. You watched two and three. Yes, because you told me Heather Langkamp was the the star in this one, and so I felt that ah. at least I owed it to myself and to her to watch the other Nightmare movies that she'd been in. Uh, which would have been the third one. But then I didn't want to jump into the third one, not having watched the second one. So I watched Phrase Revenge and then Dream Warriors and then this one. And I'll tell you right off the bat, like my main takeaway is that she is a much better actress in this movie than she was in the other two, Yeah, which makes sense because she's older. And I guess she had, you know, time to hone her craft. The first movie, I think, was her like first role ever. Warm Milk. Gross. I know it was Johnny Depp's first, uh, but yeah, she didn't get an introducing Heather Lane Camp, <laughs> but maybe they can only introduce one person at once, and they uh, they pick Johnny Depp. So obviously, Reed wasn't here to discuss the original. He's a, a massive nightmare I fan. Do, I do enjoy this series, but can also admit its uh, flaws. Like we were talking beforehand, like uh, five does nothing for me, and I really hate six. And for context, also, since we are the contrarians where we always bring up Rotten Tomatoes, this is uh, 80% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is, aside from the original, I imagine the most highly ranked. Yeah, Roger Ebert gave this a good review. The original was 94%. Yeah, the original is a very, very good movie. Uh, (laughs) But I think you could even agree having Johnny Depp and that distracts from or uh, draws attention to how awful everyone else is from an acting perspective. Even his like autopilot at age 19 was still vastly superior to uh almost everyone else who plays um who got top billing who was the cop john Sa- oh john don't, don't you dare talk shit i was gonna say john he's Saxon. clearly the most polished in <laughs> in that movie and arguably this that's john, why they brought john him back yeah. in this one. national treasure um john saxon is great but and he shows up a bit later in this yeah. so as would you john, two, as john would you two agree that uh that she's much better in this movie yeah well okay, she's I, better she's better in three than she is in one and she's better right there's a progression she, she had a, yeah. had a decade to separate I mean, she this really she had these movies she was on a sitcom in the late 80s early 90s but i think it was really kind of about it um it's a weird hill to die on the nightmare franchise but as we've seen i mean if all dressing aside movie, yeah like as we've seen these people that are in these horror franchises can make they can put their kids through colleges based on that alone. So. Yeah, yeah. The just um, a lot of them we talk about uh, 
when they would start to come out on DVD, the introduction to DVD format, they're like, I'm getting all these royalty checks now that, yeah. for this thing that I did 20 years ago. What was that? We were talking about something recently where my whole explanation for, I forget what the movie was, but talking about people going for it is that still to this day is it's ah. pervasive in the sense of a slasher franchise. If you can get in when it starts and give your all and latch onto that, there's still money to be made with that. Like I don't fucking the, pe- the people whose careers were made by saw that will never act in anything else. It's, it's pretty impressive. Oh, there we go. There cool. it is. Yeah. It's a lot of establishing dialogue. Well, you kind of have to <laughs> set why, up. Why do you have a cup of coffee? You, <laughs> <laughs> and why? I mean, she obviously, she has this very nice house in Beverly Hills, and she paid money for that frame. Uh, so the thing here is that she's being, in real life, she's she's having these uh, these calls, right? Like, she has a stalker, sort of. Yes. Yeah. And uh, watching the original on. That kid can scream. That kid is Miko Hughes. <laughs> Miko Hughes can scream. Uh, so I, I was wondering, you know, how much of this reflects her real life? How much of the real life inspiration there was in this? Oh, dude. Because once did, I found out I that she did have a stalker for a couple of years. I mean, that would make sense. But yeah. also once I found out that she really did have a special effects company, mm-hmm. it was like, man, how much of it really is there? I think Wes Craven, his thing was he took a lot of like their real life. Supposedly, if I remember correctly, she wanted the guy who she's actually married to to play her husband in the film, but he was just a special effects guy. He's like, I'm not an actor. I, I don't want to do this. Wes Craven, on the other hand, had no reservations yeah. <laughs> playing himself. She married uh, Kirk from the original Texas Chainsaw. <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> uh so obviously the whole idea of this movie is pretty uh I don't want to use the term groundbreaking but pretty out of left field for 1994. Mm-hmm. Like there's not really too many meta is the term we like to use these days. It's meta with a capital M. And then took kind of the same thing and did scream 2 years later and made 100 million and mm-hmm. this did not. Did it's also uh, it didn't flop. It opened the same day that Pulp Fiction did. And <laughs> oh no! That made its budget back. At, at, at nobody knew Pulp Fiction was going to be what it was, but yeah, it, budget was eight million. Look at that '90s outfit. The box office was a, a <laughs> the baggy sweater, the skirt, a hair under twenty it's million. It's working for me. There so, you go. See, Julie, brand new character. We'll never see her again. What's, I mean, not in this movie. I mean, like, what's the highest grossing slasher movie ever? Is it the first Friday? Um, it's got to be the first Scream. Scream. Yeah, 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 I would think. Um, I think even if you adjust for inflation and everything, it's got to be that. Well, if you adjust for inflation, it's gone with the wind. But <laughs> the classic three-hour slasher. I still love like complete sidebar, but that is adjusted for inflation. It's still pretty close to the top of the list. Not Titanic. I mean, Titanic's up there, but the money gone with the wind made was insane. So I really want to know, and I wonder if there's like a uh, interviews. I'm sure there are. That, I know Joker's the highest grossing movie ever. <laughs> and this is Lasher too. Um, how much How much of this reflects real life in the sense that, you know, according to this movie, all the, the original Nightmare crew are 
pretty tight. You know, she's friends with <laughs> Robert Englund. She's friends with uh, John they, Saxon. They all kind of hang out. Except yeah, for Johnny Depp. Except for Johnny Depp, exactly. So, well, there's, uh, um, um, I think the thing was they have a bunch of them in the, when her husband dies, spoiler, uh-huh. they have the funeral scene and they have a lot of quick shots of people and it's like random cast members from the old ones who uh-huh. just they don't have any lines but it's kind of a thing to like establish that sense of community patricia arquette just and wes craven wanted to ask johnny depp to be in it but he was too nervous and then like <laughs> wes craven told the story years later that they ran into each other and got to talking and he told him that and johnny depp was like i would have done it well it's good to know that because yeah. i was wondering that paid if johnny off depp for the people that made a uh, 21 jump street because yeah. they got him in there. <laughs> yeah. johnny depp does a cameo in nightmare six um that's kind of like a self-parody thing and if he would do that why wouldn't he be in a why much better movie for yeah wes craven coming back to it even if they just acknowledge it in you know you don't have to show him but if they just said something that acknowledged that johnny depp wasn't there you know it's like yeah. oh yeah you know, he's off he's shooting nick of time. Yeah. <laughs> so based on quick research, I can't find it adjusted for inflation. Um, top 10 list or whatever. But uh, just based off box office revenue, the 2018 Halloween is the highest grossing slasher. But, oh, of course. But Scream yeah. is number two. Yeah. Even still by uh, the money they made then, it was over 100 million. So this guy. Oh, my God. <laughs> Agent from oh no limo driver okay I was like this is the most central casting agent ever <laughs> yeah this this limo driver he was the last cut for the Fraser role on Cheers <laughs> <laughs> he is he's a little too much in the in the context of real world Dude, but classic early nineties the the really cocky gum chewing uh-huh. that's that's a staple of any sleaze bag you don't want to be anywhere near. <laughs> The slicked back hair. Yeah. But it's like, is this like are limo drivers like really this brazen in LA? Like, you know, he has no boundaries. He and I, I've never had a limo ride, so I, I can't personally attest to it. I think we would have to get friend uh of the podcast Chris Lemchi on the phone to get <laughs> answers on that. The He's high life probably in a limo as we speak. <laughs> yeah, because I mean I imagine you pay good money for the limo and it's not so that this douchebag can just like yap at you this this is interesting she's on like i guess this is supposed to be a daytime talk show uh with all the gotcha questions yeah (laughs) the dude's hair too yeah this is the little kid really funny yeah the all the freddy but it's also some very, very small studio audience. So I'm guessing this is like local syndication. This isn't national. Uh, Reed, do you have any insight, you know, more about this shit than I do about um, why these movies from the early to mid 90s all, no matter what facet you watch it on, all look like VHS? Like, it's this really weird time period where even if it's on Blu-ray, it still has that kind of fuzzy feel to it. Are you including this one? Yeah. Like it feels like it may just be the color palettes they chose to use. The color and the transfer. Yeah. 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 Everything back then was shot on film. So I don't know. I was going to say, this looks so much better than two and three, but that's the eighties. Maybe that's the thing. It, (laughs) <laughs> no 
actor has ever gotten that one role and enjoyed it as much as Robert England has enjoyed his career. This is this is great. I just love what they do with Robert England here. It's great because he's like hamming it up here and kind of making fun of what Freddie became. But it's also, I think Robert England so enjoyed getting to do that in the movies that, you know, yeah, he's, he's one of those guys I would like to meet, but he's apparently quite expensive to uh, book or get like a photo with or something. Get 30 seconds to talk to him. But then you, you know, once once he gets Their off the Freddie makeup, buy them the mask. They just got them the shitty sweater. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Obviously, it doesn't pick up on the commentary track, but if you're watching this, we just went through possibly my favorite part of the movie, which is the daytime talk show version of the Nightmare on Elm Street theme. That's like the, the funky <laughs> oh, yeah, jazz the, the version. Kind of the jazzy, the Donahue theme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, this is what I'm talking about. Like, once he's not Freddy, I really like how he plays himself. <laughs> it's just like this really down to earth guy. By, by, Every account, Robert England is like the nicest celebrity you can meet. So I think that's uh, true. You just have to pay top dollar. You do have to pay top dollar. Yeah. <laughs> he knows his worth. What can he say? I'm Freddie. Yeah. I mean, God bitch. bless him. I mean, wouldn't you charge for that if you got that? So I'm still stuck on this film thing, and I'm starting to think it's <laughs> it's your no, eyes. it like they're like we're all answering this question for me. Maybe it's because there was like the use of better lighting and shit, and so it looked the transitional period from the late '80s to mid '90s was different. It just always plays tricks on my mind, I think, or my. I mean, a lot of these weren't big budget movies either. So I like, so this thing, she's like, oh, it's Sarah from New Line Entertainment. Like this kind of stuff you were talking about wasn't, you know, the thing yet for the self-referential, like the player. Uh-huh, I think uh-huh. was maybe kind of the first to where. <laughs> the precursor to New Nightmare. Yeah, but See, like the this is like, we're going to talk about the actual studios and people and how. This is where my heart sank a little bit because, you know, we got back to the limo driver. I was like, fuck, he's going to be around the entire movie. But thankfully, that's the last time we see him. <laughs> <laughs> he had a whole subplot, but they were like, uh, this is running too long. We got to get one more show a day. As much as we like the Freddy go. kill of the limo driver. All right, so do you think this is really Sarah from New Line? Or is it an actress playing? No, I think it is, because I know Bob Shea plays himself. Yeah. Because of course he does. The mythical Bob Shea, the man responsible for the the shitty ending in the original Nightmare. Yep, and Uh, that thing made $30 million in 1984 (laughs) and created New Line. It's like, damn right I'm playing myself. Mock the man all you want. (laughs) As I mentioned on the episode, they call it the house that Freddie built. Yeah, and that's and he was on the stage when uh, Lord of the Rings won Best Picture. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, he's definitely a better actor than uh, Wes Craven, I would say, just based on this movie. Because on this scene, I was I wasn't sure if that was Bob yeah. Shea. I was like, that doesn't I... work in the in the current era. What the low cut top on the girl yeah. delivering yeah. coffee? Yeah. Stand in a since you post, want to be a, a star, post, don't a you? World. <laughs> I do it's, love the addressing this movie. Basically, just concedes. Well, as long as you fuckers are paying to see it, we're never going to kill off the main guy. Uh, so, do you think I, again? I just I never can't notice the, the, the wall of Freddy Krueger in the background. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I want that above my bed. So do you think that this is also 
again, like some sort of like mirror <laughs> image of, uh, I of hope that. That still is like in Bob Shea's office today next to the best picture Oscar <laughs> Return of the King. Sorry, what were you saying here? Oh, well, you know, so basically he's explaining, given this movie's version of how sort of this movie came to be. Yeah. So, you know, again, I'm just, I can't get past like, how much is this supposed to be uh, uh, imitating real life? As far as like, is Wes Craven kind of like that kind of guy? He just goes to bed, has a weird dream, and he's like, I must make another nightmare. No, I think this is a lot of him venting his frustrations too. I mean, it's well documented. The only reason he came back to do Scream 3 was so that New Line would let him make that movie with Meryl Streep. Miramax? Miramax, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. New Line. Yeah, yeah. Miramax did uh, the first three Screams. This one, I'm not sure of what led him back to it. I know he, Wes Craven, had a famously kind of up and down career. uh, But I know he was not, he's very candid about how he feels about the Nightmare sequels that he wasn't involved in. Um, it's they have like that uh really they have that multi-hour Friday the Thirteenth documentary. There's also one about the Nightmare franchise, and he's obviously a big part of it. And it's just kind of barely restrained contempt when they're asking him <laughs> about like the sequels and how they changed the Freddy character. So and I think there was also an issue of like he felt he was owed a lot more money than he was, and yeah, but he ended up coming back to this. So this is. You said the limo driver. That was his last appearance. Oh fuck! He is, so. I forgot about that. Yeah. He well, gets, he gets sniped you can, right you here. You can edit that out later. <laughs> this is the last one. I Ping promise. He opens the door and Freddie just. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did Miramax do Scream Four also? Uh, whatever version of Miramax. I was about to say, is Miramax still a thing anymore? No, no. Uh, we're about what? to get another Miko Hughes Oscar clip. God, I keep getting hang, hung up on these things. Was that that? It was a new line. I thought I remember the d- dimension. Dimension was like the bumper uh, on the Miramax's front of Scream One, like a genre arm. Okay, so yeah. Point of my story was Wes Craven does these things to get himself to the next beat. The reason he did Scream Three was what was the movie he made with Meryl Streep? Music of the Heart. Yes. So it's possible that he wrote this out of contempt for the entire idea of uh, the See, genre. That's a shame because I was kind of hoping that this was uh, sort of a passion project that like his way of kind of leaving the elm street uh franchise on a high note whatever it is it's way i think this was like the exact circumstances and i mean like most things there probably was money involved but uh i think this was a thing of like him coming back to kind of set it right at least how he saw it whatever he thought or did this movie i think we can all agree is pretty far ahead of its time yeah i do like minus miko hughes um (laughs) miko hughes is of his time he's like who who played anakin skywalker Jake Lloyd. Jake Lloyd. I just imagine there's this, this contingent of horror fans that treat Miko Hughes as Jake Lloyd. Oh, that's unfair. Do oh, you no. really? I mean, no, I'm, I jest. I was going to say, I, I think, think he does I, okay. I'm pretty sure Miko Hughes still gladly does convention circuits and things. Jake Lloyd, I remember uh, Golson had the like a very apt. Uh, analysis of Jake Lloyd's life. He's like, I've always had a hard time criticizing him for being the failing point of episode one because I never can imagine what it would be like to be 12 years old and being told you're the worst part of the he worst just, thing ever. He was just a kid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's kind of fucked up. 
I like that we've Golson has reached a level of mythology in our show that you don't even <laughs> introduce him. You don't, you know, even with Reed, you say friend of the podcast, former guest Reed Lanford, but with Golson, you just say Golson. Well, Golson, he, I mean, truth be told, he's a, a like an acknowledged critic, highest so. profile person we know in this uh, podcast. Oh, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> I'm friends L- with Lemchi. Matt Riddle. Yeah, <laughs> Uh To circle back, like with Wes Craven directing Music of the Heart. I like the idea of, you know, Meryl Streep was interested in the project and Wes Craven being attached as director and like the idea of like the actor being like, well, what have you done? You know, <laughs> and so Meryl Streep going and renting Nightmare on Elm Street and watching it to get an idea of like, with the whole who's, who's this guy who wants to work with me? just watching it with the Lenny, the, the, the tip of the fingers in front of the <laughs> mouth watching it. Uh, I've never even seen that movie. I, my understanding is it's very, very OK. <laughs> um. It's good. It's perfectly yeah, fine yeah. for a Wes Craven drama. I'm sorry. When your name's Wes Craven and you're in filmmaking, you're not going to do anything but horror movies. That's it's just the way it goes. He just he kind of just got into that because he was a, a philosophy major and um, author and yeah, really really fascinating guy. He's talented and yeah. from a filmmaking perspective, though, that was not too long ago. Uh, I think it was on the original Nightmare episode. And fortunately, I have Reed here to back me up. His first movie that he gets all the praise for is Last House on the Left, which I do not find to be a redeeming film in any facets. Me either. I haven't seen it. I told you. I've only seen the remake. I, I There are many other movies I would tell you to watch before you watch that movie. Um, I It is at this point that I have this to just, for one. I have to praise Heather Langham again because, you know, we're like we don't have the sound like really turned up and just her facial expressions are on point <laughs> every time that they cut back to her. I think it's just so much better than, you know, she was before. We always use the phrase, uh, or at least I do polished. And that's how she comes across here. Polished actress. Like she's an actress. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so how weird must it be? I mean, I'm assuming she was already married because you said that she wanted her husband to play the, the husband role here. Right. Wes Craven was like, Oh, can he do it? And I, the guy was just like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. But it's still really weird to be in a movie where you can't be on this. <laughs> your fictional husband gets murdered pretty yeah. horribly. Uh, I'm assuming she didn't have any kids yet. Or maybe she did. Yeah. Miko Hughes. Uh, <laughs> it's I, he's I a, his, her real kid. I, there's always something very admirable about stage kids. Like, I always think it's so fun to watch the kids that think if they uh, emote very, like, broadly. Acting. Yeah, exactly. There's you, a, and, you know, most of them were just unbelievable little shits. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's uh, you mentioned it a few breaths ago that nightmare, uh, not nightmare, but the Friday the 13th, the comprehensive documentary on the first eight or whatever. Uh, the dude who played Jason in part four just talked about what a little shit that Corey Feldman was and just unbearable <laughs> to work with. And now every time he got a hold of him, he thought about really killing him. And that was even before Goonies, before he like had some stroke to where he could act like that. Yeah. So. But see, that obviously doesn't keep you from getting work because, I mean, Corey Feldman went on to, you know, make even more movies. He had a so, few years before the bottom fell out. Yeah. Yeah. Was so, the Lost Boys this is diverted into Corey Feldman talk now. Was Last Boy or Lost Boys, excuse me, the last of it? Uh as far as mainstream uh, license to drive was after Lost Boys. That was both Corey's, right? That was yeah, that was both. 
that was kind of like getting De Niro and Pacino together in, in that era. <laughs> that was their righteous kill. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, so I mean, I would say it because obviously Miko Hughes made a bunch of movies after this, and but that doesn't mean that he was just a joy to work with. He could have been just another little asshole like <laughs> like Corey I Feldman. was just generalizing. I don't know about Miko Hughes could be a very nice young man. I don't know. <laughs> he seems like an adorable kid in this movie, yeah. but he definitely also seems like someone who all due respect peaked as a kid like um who was the little boy in Jerry Maguire? Jonathan Lipnicki. Lipnicki. That, that yeah. But Miko Hughes had several movies. Uh that kid I think had Jerry Maguire. Well he did uh Stuart Home Alone little. 4, I think. Wasn't he the the new so Kevin? He, so he had Jerry Maguire. <laughs> <laughs> he made an attempt. Uh, That's what happens, though. That really does. Like some, it's proven that like some kids are great actors as little kids, and then they just kind of grow up and they're not good at it anymore. Uh oh, he's starting to fall asleep. Here we go. This, this freaks so me out. So this is kind of thing. Like my um, is that a Bronco? No. it's... Okay, it's this has never been my favorite nightmare movie. And I think apart from what I remember from when I was a kid is it goes, it starts too slow. Um, it's like we're half an hour in. But it's, but the stuff that's happening, I, at least I find interesting, you know, the whole like behind the scenes of Heather Langham's life. Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 just, it's a lot of first acts. Yeah. yeah. Was yeah, this yeah. one syndicated? I never remember seeing this on TV when I was a kid. Um, you heard on I, TNT had the rights to this one because it was like the latter day new line. So they ran uh, it a lot. Dude, this is me driving back from Dallas. I was about Listening to, to REM <laughs> singing, trying to keep myself awake. Does he slap himself in the face? I don't remember because I certainly do that. When I drove back from uh, Dallas after a WWE pay-per-view in 2017, this was very much me. I had to pull over at a rest stop and like, run laps around my car for like, like 20 CG. minutes to wake myself up <laughs> i i have like i think i had a close call once and then i was like fuck it from now on i'm just i'll find the next gas station or heb or whatever and just like take a nap in the parking lot oh i'm not that big of a heathen I, <laughs> what do you do after that i get a hotel room like an adult oh no i run myself a nice bath and I, then i grab a bunch of shit from the breakfast bar the next morning and then go for it oh man Yeah, this this shocked me because I really didn't think they were gonna kill her husband. I love that last shot of him well, looking we don't at his, know yet. At his <laughs> chest. Hey, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, it's and I think it was just that that logic of there's no way that she would let her husband die in a movie that's sort of based on her life. But, yeah, maybe that freaked the real life guy out. It's like <laughs> now this is just too <laughs> close to home. Yeah. At the same time, you know. Ooh, like, it's crunchy. Hell yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot yeah, of good early 90s fashion going on here. So this... this A lot of plants in the house. One of the big questions I had during this movie, as far as procedure goes, because these cops are like... Oh, that Hitchcock. Uh, the cops are like, you don't need to see the body. It's okay, ma'am. It's like, no, you, you have to, right? You have to identify it. You can't just like take their word for it. <laughs> You see the face. I think isn't the thing like she wants. She pulls the sheet. Back no, no, no. This the cop, the cop that's here at the at the house. He's like, no, ma'am. You don't need to see him. Chase Porter was Chase Porter. Husband. <laughs> <laughs> a 
Nico Hughes just watching his mom get ready to go to the club, standing in the back there. <laughs> it's worse than that, man. Just say he's dead. Don't <laughs> pussyfoot around anymore. Where's the babysitter? Well, they were home, so he was asleep and she passed out on the couch. She really wasn't going out to the club, Alex. <laughs> She's a mother. Clubbing days are long past. Okay, see, here, here it comes. Like, that's a perfectly reasonable request. It's like, <laughs> who, he doesn't get to make that call. <laughs> it's true. How are you going to identify him? Yeah. Dental records. Yeah, but still, I thought it was just proper procedure to just next to Ken gets to look at the body and say, yeah, that's him. I fortunately have never been in that situation, but I mean, I know it's in every movie. I know things the movie have the movies have taught me. And we just got bodies lying in the hallway unattended. In Water for Elephants, they pull Robert Pattinson away from his college exam to say, are these your parents? They're dead. Yeah. Is that like the saw? The saw? That whatever that sound oh. is. Like, yeah, we're just working late tonight. <laughs> yeah, this Dude also chomping feels on weird. the cigar. <laughs> Never gets any easier. Again, you usually I would imagine you have somebody escort you to the body. You shouldn't just yeah, they wander off. Let, this walks in and just this open carcass. <laughs> Isn't this guy eating? Isn't that part of his deal? <laughs> That's God, one of the oldest like, yeah, the coroner who's like, you know, so Matter of fact that he's, you know, having a sandwich. He's, he's annoyed with the whole process. <laughs> no, actually, this guy is pretty sympathetic. I I like him. He gets one of the lines from the movie, like the line. Are yeah. these your husband's feet? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, no, this is Chase Potter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry we woke you up, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> the jars have just... Floating viscera in the background are quite disconcerting. I think it says protocol is you only get to see him once. Sign here. Yeah. Here's your copy. Initial. And triplicate. I like how they they all kind of like tiptoe around how badly the body's mangled. Was when she's like, I saw claws. Claw marks. I know. I love how they're trying to keep away from her the fact that <laughs> I think it was a bad wreck. <laughs> the head's gonna be all right for the funeral. That's really the thing you want to hear. <laughs> That's some awesome acting from her. But see, no, this guy has a heart, and I think uh, what is it that he says? It's the things that we don't see that keep us. To let us sleep at night or something. The truck must have tore him up in a very garden hoe like fashion. <laughs> it was the hood ornament. It hit him at just the right <clears throat> angle. <laughs> I mean, we're going to get to that. <laughs> this guy, I mean, if it's if it's eligible, he gets the supporting player Embry. I don't know, man. <laughs> He's got the, the he's creed, a human being. He's got the Creed copy toner black hair. It's pretty uh, noticeable. 
Oh, I'm, I'm on the new Nightmare movie. She needs no clearance to get in and out so of. So here, I'm going to try and see who I recognize from. Okay, so I, I, I saw that they were doing close-ups of random people I didn't yeah. recognize. So it's kind of like the last episode of The West Wing where um, uh, John Spencer was dead, and they brought back like everyone for the funeral. Okay, so Bob Shea, England, um, Tuesday night on the left from part four. For the people not watching West, it, I just want to make Saxon. shit up. Uh, like, who was that the guy? guy from the first one? Uh, Tony. That's uh, the guy that dies in, in the in jail. In jail? Yeah. Okay. Who's wearing a leather jacket to a funeral. Very Man, they didn't even give him a line. That guy just gets those two I think it's more of like a, you know. A nod? A wink for if you're a fan. I just wanted to like make up shit for the people that aren't actually watching this as a commentary track. Be like, dumb Deloise, what the fuck? <laughs> it would be pretty horrible if you had uh, the Weinstein brothers in the background. Oh, God. <laughs> Harvey Weinstein just rubbing the shoulders of uh, Heather Langenkamp. Rising star. It's going to be okay. Oh, dude. Yeah. Okay. So this begins the discussion of. New Freddy, the, the new Freddy look. Reed, you say you don't like it. It's too rubbery. I um, it just it looks too makeupy. I I don't know. So my, I, I like it. He looks yeah. remastered. You know, like when you you give you, me you play 80s, a give me eighties putty on the face. But but I think it marks the difference. You know, like when you I, when it, you play a, a Super Nintendo game of a <laughs> franchise that you'd only play on the NES, and you're like, oh, this looks different, but you know, it went fresh. from eight to 16. oh, there's Homeboy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Look at that rug. <laughs> <laughs> she has no parents, but she has John Saxon on scene. That is a Brillo pad that's been spray painted. <laughs> No, my There's whole movies going back to like the 70s where he's like completely bald and not wearing <laughs> anything. So that's the that like he's kept, he kept it up for decades. Um, My thought is, OK, yeah. So there's I'm sorry. I'm trying to see if I spot any. Else. All the way in the back, probably they have the the later sequel guys. It's also, you know, kind of brave to from Robert England to play himself in this sort of movie because, you know, yeah, we, we were talking about how he looks really nice, like really down to earth and everything. But he also, as the movie goes on, he gets a little creepy. And so now what? it's just his own public persona that he's putting out there as being, you know, creepy. The image obviously worked. The the entire poster for natural born killers was just Woody Harrelson cosplaying <laughs> as him in this movie. <laughs> My thing with Freddie is it's obvious that they wanted to intensify his look and make him scarier because he's supposed to be entering the real world. And it's the idea of he's this demon, this spirit. But, yeah. Um, I don't know. It's not my favorite look. I mean, I think it's like a nice middle of the way before say, you get to uh, the the remake. Oh yeah, Freddy, Jackie off Haley. of that bullshit. <laughs> That's far and away the worst. Yeah. <laughs> he can still emote. completely misses the point. Making him look like an actual burn victim is yeah. Like, yeah. Because that's, that's that's fun. That's fuck what that you want to go and see. Nico Hughes, in brilliant trance. acting. That was mom. Me. You have an age a day. Me is that at that age watching the scrambled spice channel. I wonder if this is like a tape or if it's just like airing. 
because she shouldn't have turned it off because she's getting money every time it airs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, actually, isn't it revealed in a minute that uh, the TV is unplugged? So oh. it's so it's just Freddy Cable. <laughs> every time I watch that shot, I always it plays my mind every time because I think he's gonna rear back and just deck her in the face. <laughs> Leave me alone. It's probably the creepiest thing out of all the nightmares. The the song? The song. Yeah, I think. As a as a running theme. And when it resurfaces in this one, it's that was pretty cool. Didn't the what are we talking about when we did the original one that like Wes Craven's kid or some shit came up with the the song for it. It was some like I don't know. It was based on some children's rhyme that they just Okay, so I think that this is she's about to take him to the to doctor. And if she's not, this is when I started thinking, okay, you should have taken him to the doctor already. Because he's had at least one seizure. It wasn't plugged in. Telling you, Freddy Vision. It's a big bed. It's missing one person. She's a big movie star. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like, she's making the mistake that the other nightmare characters made in the movies, which is not taking your kid to the doctor when you should. (laughs) Though I guess at least she's taking the kid seriously, so. How old would she have been at this point? Early 30s, I guess. Mid late 30s, probably. What's um? You know, this is not a love letter to uh, to the Nightmare franchise. It's a love letter to Heather Langenkamp. I was gonna. I thought you were gonna say Nico Hughes. It's like that needs to be. He's <laughs> a PS. That needs to be the screen cap y'all use with uh, Miko Hughes saying, "Why does God let bad things happen?" Because <laughs> <laughs> that's just kind of an evergreen. Hashtag election 2020. <laughs> and then leads into her getting the single tear shot. So is this her Oscar clip? Her comforting her son. Oh, man. I feel like she has something that comes later. That's a bit more powerful. And she's had like a couple of high points already. What? When was um Jason goes to hell? Was that around this time? 93 year before this. Okay. And it ended with Freddy. The, the right. So, and they tried for, uh, took them a decade to get it made. Because they were trying even before then. Oh, yeah. They tried in it. the 80s, but yeah. Paramount and New Line were, neither one wanted to give Put up. Put the, the other money. one over? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it- even in the final version that we got, you know, they got kind of the double. The, the dusty double finish? Out. Yeah. <laughs> But it is Freddy v. Jason, not Jason v. Freddy. Well, Freddy versus Jason sounds better. It, it does. It rolls off the tongue. Yeah. It's kind of like Siskel and Ebert versus Ebert and Siskel, <laughs> Siskel and Ebert sounded better. Um, this is a really good scene. And this, this is John Saxon's probably Oscar clip. His supporting actor. Everything yeah. John Saxon has ever done is his Oscar clip. 
lifetime achievement. Well, we did a movie recently where like someone was in the movie for like five minutes total and got an Oscar nomination out of it. I'm trying to remember what it was. And that would be him in this case. It's probably Shakespeare in Love. Yes. Judy Dench. Uh, Judy Dench. That's exactly what it was. She yep. won for that. Yeah. And she's in the movie for like six minutes. John yep. Saxon. Beatrice for Straight, uh, has one scene in Network and she won an Oscar. Who does? Uh, from Network. Yeah. She's um, uh, William Holden's wife. Oh, yeah. She, she only has, she has that has one, one, but it's a long scene. Break up. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And she won an Oscar. Okay. That. That's a hell of a scene, though. <laughs> anyway, back to New Nightmare. I was about to say Daniel Stern has that one scene in Diner that he should have won an Oscar for. <laughs> I don't remember. Have you seen Diner? I've seen Diner. The one where he yells at her about his records. That's the best scene in that movie. So this is pretty cool. And and the that she's talking to John Saxon, but at the same time, it kind of highlights the fact that like she goes to John Saxon for this. Like, are they that close? Is this like the next person on the like for the I mean for the conceit of the movie? Right. I understand, but it's it really it kind of highlights I don't know if it's intentionally or unintentionally how lonely her life must be. You know, it's like your husband dies and then the next person you go to is the the guy she, that you she's started. She's hanging out with all these B&C <laughs> list actors. So much so that you're not paying attention to your child climbing up this giant apparatus. It's an it's entourage, but with, uh, you know, <laughs> below the title. <laughs> Dude. How awesome would it be? Like Wes Craven's entourage and you have John Saxon. Uh, <laughs> in the Jeremy Piven role. <laughs> <laughs> no, Craven would be on the Jeremy Piven role. John Saxon would be like one of the. Why would they make a children's that play That would be welded shut. Yes. Yeah, you couldn't do that. I mean, if that was real, she would have a hell of a lawsuit on her hands. <laughs> Might have been worth it to let him fall. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, the payoff as to why he's climbing is really good. And she has one of my favorite uh, Heather Langham moments is coming up. I think it's right after this. (laughs) Oh, yeah, because, yeah, they have the. I'm fairly confident. Oh, it already happened. Both Never mind. Reed and I had that exact same outfit as kids growing up <laughs> in the 90s. Julio grew up in the mid 60s, so he, I just had a long version yeah. of it. I love this. It's clearly a grown man <laughs> falling through the air. <laughs> Call the lawyers. <laughs> Would have been great just because they're doing the slow motion like John Dillon or uh, John Saxon just shoves her down and like dives in. (laughs) His two pads just kind of (laughs) like flapping in the wind. Uh, That's heavy. He said, God wouldn't take me. Uh Mom jeans. God damn. That is like that SNL skit. Mom jeans. Um, There Um, is a moment we missed it, but there is a moment that uh, in that conversation, conversation with John Saxon where she she laughs at something and it's just so natural. You know, because it's a pretty heavy conversation, and then he makes a joke, and she makes a joke back, and she laughs. I don't remember what it is, but that I was going to point out when she was getting the mail. True, um, like the keystone of being a rich person is having the mailbox that's cemented into the ground. 
That's when you know you've made it. The, it's a it, brick and mortar around it. It's not just a, you know, a, a, a tin box on a stick in the ground. Yeah, I mean, this if, if this Craven's movie is to be house? believed, she banked. Oh, yeah. I mean, understandably so. No, that's oh, Robert, <laughs> Robert England's castle. Just answers it like, go. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's Heather Langenkamp. I know. <laughs> he's uh, oh yeah, it's the stalker subplot, right? But I can't remember. Does that turn out to be Freddy like doing it in the real world, or I don't think he has a payoff because I think the original <laughs> thing was it was supposed to be her babysitter. Oh no, that's not what one. happens. And, uh, yeah, that's oh, no, not she, in the fi- yeah. that's not in the final movie, but apparently that was in some draft of the script. It's diced up. God, Bob England just so cultured. But that's the thing when they the big reveal of what he's been painting is just amazing. Oh, yeah, also... I, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Look at the lust in his eyes. The lust <laughs> for himself. He's oh. looking at a painting of himself. Okay. We don't know that. Yet. I thought oh. that you were you were implying that he was getting off on talking to Heather Langenkamp no. on the phone. <laughs> he expected the call. Just like blows her off later. Just. But yeah, then there's this depiction of Wes Craven as this weirdo that, you know, just kind of works on his screenplays with no plan whatsoever. He got everybody worked up about a new Nightmare movie, and it turns out he doesn't even know how the movie ends. The extended cut of this is him with the boombox at his ear and just throwing paint all over (laughs) different uh, statues and whatnot. (laughs) Robert England insane like that heather's the we can't talk over the phone you know they just cut to like the van parked across the street from our house <laughs> freddie's in the back with the styrofoam cup of coffee listening freddie and robert shea he's got the one headphone up to the ear the huge pit sweat stains just <laughs> been there clearly for days uh, what's the implication who knew he was of so talented because this is the last we see of Robert England, right? Like next time she tries to contact him, he's it's like, haunting him too. He's just reacting to it differently, right? So, yeah. so it's not. But I thought the explanation was that he was up, trying doesn't to. Doesn't he show up in the movie again? Well, uh, as, as Freddy, Freddy. Well, but doesn't Robert England show up? In the no, movie? I think that next time she tries to contact him, he's like he, she gets a machine that says that he's out of town. <laughs> oh, did Freddy kill Robert England? That'd be some crazy shit. If you were going to do that, you have to put Show that it. scene in <laughs> right. the movie. Yeah. It's just, I'm not afraid of you. <laughs> I thought that kid was wearing a blazer for a second, then he turned around. England v. England. Dawn of Justice. No. <laughs> Reed still has heat with you for, they, for that movie. Did they do the push the through the wall? oh i don't remember i I remember that being one of my major points of contention with the remake was they cg'd that film yeah (laughs) whereas in the first one it's a guy pressing against latex or whatever and it looks amazing it's what's the michael j fox movie that that was the vhs cover of uh the the frighteners Frighteners. (laughs) thank you oh there we go yeah you didn't get to part four Yeah, no. Right. They do a scene in part four where like uh, the girl is on a beach like she thinks like, oh, I'm in a good dream now. She's relaxing on a beach. 
and like the glove comes out of the water like a shark fin and races towards the beach. <laughs> Does it do a variation of the shark uh, with a Jaws theme? No, it doesn't. But uh, Freddy chases her onto the beach and puts on sunglasses at one point. So. Of course. Through the looking glass. And he says, I don't know. See, I like SPF 50, so, bitch. It's weird. I like it. Uh, <laughs> the look of the glove with like the bone exposed and everything, but the face just doesn't work for me. I don't know why. That's a pretty cool reveal. The shredded sheets. It's an old lady's nightgown. She lost her husband, Reed. God. Listen, we've been commenting on her wardrobe the entire movie, so we're not going to stop now. I mean, that TV setup in the background is deliciously <clears throat> 90s. Why is her bedroom so big? <coughs> so open. Yeah. No privacy. What's your favorite Freddy kill? How about that, Reed? Uh, it's got to be Tina in the first one. I mean, that's the most iconic. The it gets a callback in this movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, part three, um, uh, the girl getting her head shoved through the TV sets a good time. Welcome prime time. To, welcome to prime time, bitch. I mean, those are the most like iconic ones. Um, what? Uh, Nancy's mom at the end of the first one where it's clearly the blow up doll, blow -up doll being pulled. <laughs> and you know what? That ending made them $30 million <laughs> in 1984. This is pretty awesome. That the homemade Freddy Claus. I'm just more impressed he knows how to use it. Oh, Jesus. I'm more impressed that a grown woman can't overpower a child. <laughs> What would have been the hit song at this point in time to be on the alarm clock? Uh, Fall of 94. Ace of Bass? Uh, that's a good. Uh, well, we can't sing it on here. You'll get pulled down. <laughs> YouTube <laughs> will pull down the copyright. something about seeing the sign that could come on. The, uh, You're the giving your singing too much credit if you think that uh, <laughs> YouTube will be able to pick it up. <laughs> too legit. <laughs> to quit. you know something that i will give this a lot of credit for is that it never falls into that trap of uh just overdoing answer the phone uh overdoing the the whole like it was all a dream that i okay so that's the one thing i remember from this one from the video stores was on the back cover was the shot of the the phone the with the tongue? Yeah, the, the yeah. I'm your boyfriend now. There's a fair amount of callbacks to the original, right? Because that's from the original. <laughs> Opens the front door, tosses him out, <laughs> slams it shut. The back door throws him in the pool. <laughs> Dude, this doctor, this boy ain't right. <laughs> this doctor. Oh, she's so mean. Yeah. I mean, she's worse than the limo driver, I think, as far as like... Like, we don't get the introduction to this at all. We we come into this, you know, well into the meeting. It's clear she thinks that Heather Langenkamp is whacked out on, you know, coke or some shit. Right, and she doesn't care for her, her job. She doesn't care for her movies. But still, I mean, it's like, have a, bet, a little bit of bedside manner. Are her eyes really that piercingly blue, or was this... Yeah. No, you're just in love, Alex. Uh, apparently. Like, I'm talking about these 
early to mid nineties movies. Everything's fuzzy around the edges. Maybe I just I'm in love with <laughs> Heather Langenkamp and Daniel Stern. Beautiful woman. <laughs> Yeah, so when, when the first time I watched this movie, and this lady's being so intense, this doctor, I'm like, man, she's just overselling it. And then as it plays out, and it turns out that no, her doctor character is just that much of a that much of a, an asshole. And I was like, all right, I guess she was she was in the right key from the beginning. Doesn't she at one point offer her like rehab? Yeah, she's like, your child can go into foster care until you feel That's, better. Um, the woman on the left is a new line exec. She was also in Kingpin. Was she? Yeah, she has uh, oral relations with Woody Harrelson's character oh, in that okay. movie. Okay, she's, then is she in uh, There's Something About Mary, too? She might be, yeah. she. Uh, the lady that... She's in a movie we've Suntans? done. I can't remember. Speed? <laughs> she's like a long-time New Line person, though. I can't remember her name off the top of my head. Kingpin was a New Line. That was MGM, so that's weird. What? Really? Yeah. Huh. I don't know why I thought that the Ferrellis were just New Line... I could be wrong about that. Prove me wrong. Oscar winner, Peter. Bobby, whichever <laughs> one. Have you that. seen Green Book? Yeah, keep it that way. I listened to y'all's it's, episode. It solves racism. <laughs> I listened to y'all's episode and it turned out it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. So I don't need to see it. <laughs> that warms my heart. <laughs> I'm sure Peter Farelli or Bobby Farelli would not be very happy about it, but. Somebody chose to listen to our episode rather than watch the movie. Like he directed oh, Dumb and Dumber and he won an Oscar. Listen, Dumb and Dumber is a good movie. It is. It's better than fucking Green Book. It's OK Green to just do different things. <laughs> Wes Craven tried to do music of the heart. Yeah, I think that lady. <laughs> Come on, take him. Go to bed. Down the hatch. Let's drug our kids. But do you think it took her too long to take her kid to the doctor? Like foaming at the mouth. That's where <laughs> she finally. But at the to be fair to the point of the movie, it's her whole thing of like she's. But before that, I mean, what he jumped off the the playground. Well, he had that um, seizure when she came home from the from the talk show. Oh yeah. I guess that's the knives true. thing was a, a nightmare. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She's fighting every maternal instinct because she lived through some serious shit 10 years ago. Don't make excuses for poor parenting, Alex. <laughs> Warm milk. Gross. <laughs> mother. Mother. Have it's another okay. drink, mother. We love you now, Heather Langkamp. You're amazing in this movie. The best in the original is um, the shot where, like, her mom steps out into the hallway behind her and like lights the cigarette before she reveals <laughs> before she gives the entire backstory. Just, yeah, and how she like just chills by the furnace to drink. <laughs> That's where she goes to hang out. Yeah. The reveal that there's more to this kid than met the eye. But he goes to sleep anyway. <laughs> He's just Hollywood meditating. <laughs> That is a classic mistake. That's a that's, uh, 101. The, oh, I'm going to go to bed and pretend so people will leave me alone and then actually fall asleep. It's a hell of a station wagon, too. Like that, that's, it's a Volvo. That's the hospital for like the the stars at that level. Is Holly, it's not Cedars and I, you know, where like the A-listers go. Who would have been top of the world in 94 that could have driven, driven by right there and be like, hey! Uh... 
Well, this opened the same day as Pulp Fiction, so I Travolta? guess Travolta's come, come <laughs> Well, to be fair, Travolta's an evergreen answer. <laughs> <laughs> From 1976 onward, you could say Travolta and it would work. But before this uh, weekend, he was a laughing stock. So, yeah, the, the the quote was "box office poison." <laughs> um, who who was the cameo? In, well, one of the cameos in the Entourage movie when uh, Ari is just running through the studio. Is it Kelsey Grammer? So is that why, why would anyone live in Los Angeles? Was that legitimate? Oh yeah, that yeah. was actual okay. damage. Yeah. So that earthquake happened, and then incorporated a lot of it into this movie. They, they just like went out and got a lot of footage of it. Yeah, Wes Craven's like, "We're gonna save a fucking fortune." <laughs> <laughs> She's drinking an actual like. Uh, it was a Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts yeah. was that really like? Okay, so it was an actual brand. She's still in California. God. <laughs> She's now in Jerusalem. Oh, that's right. She's going to Wes Craven's. <laughs> mansion <laughs> he lives just out east jesus nowhere this is like in the first in the 89 batman where he's taken uh vicky vale to the bat cave for the first time <laughs> yeah so this depiction of wes craven he should just be nude in a bathroom <laughs> wes did really well for himself my god well talk about income inequality all that all that last house on the left money <laughs> i was about to say <laughs> the, camp, the woman just walking into frame there this is him currently living off the payday loan he took for Scream. <laughs> those, those statues he's got back there. There's an elephant. All right, we're learning more and more. This script of this movie is just piercing, penetrating into real life. Reed, what is your favorite Wes Craven movie? Um, he's got some good the, fir- the first nightmare, I would say. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm trying you. to think if there's like an obvious. It, it's easier than like what's your favorite John Carpenter movie or something like that, you know? So, um, I love you as a friend and a brother, but <laughs> the first scream. The first scream is good. Unsurprisingly, this has shot up to. The top of my Wes Craven list. He's got a hell of a set of chompers on him, dude. Look at those. <laughs> I'm waiting for they're gonna fall out at some point. Mildred or whoever the housemate is to bring him a just a can of peas and <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but let's not beat around the bush. His acting is pretty terrible. He's a director. He's not an actor. Right, but couldn't you hire somebody to... <laughs> I'm an actor. I'm a fucking actor. <laughs> Look at that in the the reverse shot here, though. The, the, like, the box TV built into the wall with the fireplace. Can you imagine how much fuck you money you would have had to have in 1994 to have that? To have one of those set up? Yeah. Because TVs back then went like two feet deep. Yeah. All right, so so it's like five thousand. Oh no, we're still we're a, still talking about twenty eight inch TV. We're talking about Wes Craven meeting with his contractor. <laughs> no, but I'm going to have a thirty five inch TV built into the wall. But we're assuming, but Mr. That, Craven, it's not practical. We're assuming they're shooting Don't this. Tell me it's not practical. Make it happen. I've got new nightmare coming out. God damn it! So this is his real house. You think that they shot this in his house? No, I I, I don't know. Wes Craven seems like a much more modest individual. <laughs> that's why he put himself in this movie he he probably had a ranch somewhere in oregon this was it felt like she drove to oregon from <laughs> beverly hills 
This was likely, I don't know, the kid from Blank Check's house at this point. Do you think he is a worse actor than Tarantino? No. <laughs> he certainly doesn't get off on saying the N-word as much as Tarantino does. Uh, I think this was really the only time he ever did anything in front of the camera. I mean, he's playing. It fits the material. Yeah. I don't know what your problem is here. <laughs> he's pretty bad, man. Julio's had this vested interest the entire time just waiting for this scene. Just major takedown of Wes office. Love that computer. Classic. It's just not as romantic. Everybody is. I love oh, look, picture. there's the Johnny Depp cameo. That's a real picture, though, yeah. from the set of that. Because <laughs> what was the thing? Like, it would take him like four hours to get all that makeup on. Yeah. So then, then he would two have two hours at the end of the day. To yeah. Take it all off. Get in character just by listening to God knows what at the point. So you think that they had to like. Now, this is something, you know, they wouldn't have. You wouldn't be using that program in 1994. You wouldn't have <laughs> Apple IIe writing. <laughs> That's what Josh Baskins plays in Big. <laughs> <laughs> the the text game in the opening scene he has to type his commands in. I'll be right there, Mom. So you think they had to get a release from uh, Depp to use that photo? I don't know. Realistically, yeah, they probably did. Yeah, so, I mean, they had to ask him then. At least that thing. Trying to ruin Wes Craven's anecdote. What do you have against this man? Got some shit guess, heat over here. He's I guess. dead. I mean, have some respect. <laughs> Far be it for me to call the man a liar, but no, he probably just got his lawyers to do it. I love that Freddy, uh, Mr. Cellophane shot. He's just with the jazz hands. Oh, yeah, the lit from the front. Uh, you see the profile of him in the back. You should see if you can find, because the flashback to the talk show scene, if you can find the jazzy daytime <laughs> version of the theme to like put it at the beginning or the end. So I didn't do as much research, but my guess is this did not win as many Oscars as Pulp Fiction. Uh, well, Pulp Fiction only won one Oscar. Best Picture? No, best screenplay. But so, yes, Pulp Fiction did win more Oscars than this movie. The what problem. won Best Picture that year then? Your favorite. Forrest movie. Gump. Forrest Gump did. I know Tom Hanks won, yeah. but I, I I always thought Pulp Fiction won. The Do problem it- is that because this is a sequel, it did not qualify as original screenplay. <laughs> it had to compete See, with adapted has, screenplay. She has a cabinet, like a cabinet with the TV in it, but it comes out from the wall. So she doesn't quite have it as good as Wes. She doesn't have Craven money. Yeah. That's a nice throwback to the coffee machine on the bedside table. Oh, God. Now she has to go buy another $5,000 24-inch TV. <laughs> Why did I always think Pulp Fiction won? That's bothering me. But I know that that year was like insane. The fact that Forrest Gump, Pulp Fiction, and Shawshank Redemption were all in the same year. Quiz show. Yep. Great movie. Yep. And Four, four Weddings and a Funeral. That is weird. Pulp Fiction only won screenplay. In the long run, though, I mean, it- I, of course, in the moment, <laughs> that's one of those things of uh, that year at the Oscars was the definitive. The party's never going to end. <laughs> We're going to be producing quality like this forever and ever. And now Avengers Endgame Don't nominated even- for Best Picture. Don't you start.
Is that a picture of Miko Hughes? Of course it is. From the set of Pet Cemetery. <laughs> oh, this oh, I this was the yeah. That was That's the a trailer. great scream. Yeah. That was the trailer thing, I remember. I will give you this. The the mask looks so much bigger on him. Like it's because he's wearing a full uh it's like tucked into his like it's not just makeup, it's like a a head on top of his head. Yeah. But I mean, like I said, a head over his head, a head on top of his head sounds like he has two heads oh, like, yeah, on top of the other. <laughs> he's got a quado on top of his head. Um, this is the first one where he's wearing an actual like <clears throat> prosthetically made mask as opposed to just makeup on top. Yeah, little pieces put on one at a time. But he, like all of it's, I really like it because the his he's scarier looking. The the colors on his sweater are darker. Like you brought up, the glove looks more sinister because the like bones the are on it. Yeah, he's super Freddy. <laughs> I really, I think this is when the babysitter the doctor character. was actually uh, Brian Dennehy. That's true. <laughs> um, I really like that the babysitter character kind of comes into her own in this last part of the movie. And Reed immediately pointed out, but my God. Has there ever been a more '90s looking female than than this character here? She looks like a what's the name of the blonde from Nine Hundred Two One Zero? Jenny Garth. Yeah, Jenny Garth. She's not the one from Chairman of the Board, is she? No, that was uh, she was on Melrose Place. That's Courtney Thorne Smith. The same. You should know these things. Yeah, Nine Hundred Two One Zero and uh, Melrose Place. Circumstantial difference. And she's right back to judging her. <laughs> Ma'am, have you been hurting yourself? What the fuck did you do to yourself? Are you doing the cracking? <laughs> Was this a sex thing? <laughs> so I don't remember if, if he... I mean, at the end of the day, it's nice to have one character grounded in reality. You waited this long to bring this kid here? <laughs> Yeah, but the the amount of sympathy that she shows for for everybody is almost non-existent. It's a tough field, man. <laughs> you know how many patients she sees every day? She has no sympathy for everybody. She's a doctor in LA. You know the type <laughs> of shit she sees? <laughs> it just seems like she's more interested in taking custody of the kid away from her <laughs> than in any kind of solution she's to the problem. She's living in her own movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. She saw Pet Cemetery. She thought Miko Hughes was so cute. <laughs> What's the gig on her head from? Oh, she hit it on the she coffin. She fell, yeah. yeah, and hit on the coffin. This is where... It's revealed that the doctor has seen the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, or at least is aware of them. <laughs> okay, well, that gauze will be $60,000. <laughs> <laughs> so judgmental. Is he, the, is he the one with the hockey mask? <laughs> <laughs> is he the doll? <laughs> it's just dripping with contempt. That is hilarious to think about, like, um, in the time that the first 
Nightmare came out up until this, Child's Play had already come and completely burnt out. <laughs> but that was one of those two. They released them like there were three of Click them. Yeah, within like four years. Something yeah. crazy, yeah. So you think that this Freddy is based never on went to uh, a military academy? <laughs> he never, uh, he never lowered himself to that. Well, he did other things. Yeah, he was played by uh, Jackie O'Haley. Yeah, twenty years after the fact, twenty-five years in a really bad movie. Uh, not, not Jackie O'Haley's fault. No. <laughs> Although I think he was sedated, much like Miko Hughes for that <laughs> entire movie, just. <laughs> he thought he was still on the set of Watchmen. God, what a gorgeous set of hair. <laughs> I know this is one of your things, Alex. So it's like, is it a good kid performance or is it that the director did his job? Uh I don't know. I mean I'm kind of ripe for the opinion that Reed had that this kid could have been kind of a little shit because <laughs> all due respect to Heather Langenkamp Nico Hughes probably would have been the, the, the high profile name for this project that is um, upsetting because this was after Pet Cemetery, but I'm pretty why, sure this was strapping her to the right. chair before Mercury Rising Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, well, that got me. I forgot that this was a. Uh... It got me too when I was watching it. I, because I mean, I know the the lead doctor as well. Me. Why'd she take kind, that bump the into the bed? Bitch, but... <laughs> Just dove back first into that bed. I I, I don't know. Slaps her. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was going to ask you earlier, do you think that this has some sort of, uh, is based on Heather Langkamp's uh, experiences as a parent where, you know, she might feel that other parents or authority figures like doctors judge her whenever there's some sort of issue and they're like, did you let your kid watch your movies? You know, is he growing up in this sort of toxic environment? She's got the gray back. Her responses all seem very genuine. I mean, she's easily the, I think the standout in this. Shouldn't that door been locked? If she could get into the morgue. (laughs) 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 Just does the eye poke out of my way. So which uh, new line executive is that one? That's she's like, (laughs) I don't think she ever lets him sleep. That's (laughs) she was in the <laughs> that was Beth Newline. Oh God, '90s girl has changed clothes again. No, she was wearing that. Oh, was she? Yeah. Okay. It's all very billowy and gin blossomsy. It was a good time. It was a simpler time. Part party was never going to end. <laughs> it was before <laughs> smartphones and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> Turn around, nurse just has the gun. (laughs) (laughs) You have to understand, I took an oath to protect that child. (laughs) 
So what's the idea here? That she is not allowed <laughs> to take her kid? I don't know. She's not fit to. She let him watch the Nightmare on uh, Elm Street franchise. <laughs> She's I mean, clearly an unfit parent. It doesn't look like the doctor has made an official report. I just wish that we had the actual scene of her explaining to the doctor all of his symptoms. <laughs> so he was watching this TV that wasn't plugged in, but he's the don't crazy ask me, one. Don't ask me how that works. <laughs> and then I was talking to John Saxton, and he climbed to the top of this playground equipment. <laughs> So God would take him. And then he turned into a grown man and fell. <laughs> She's going rogue. Boo. <laughs> they never really explained the, the gray hair. I mean, it's just stress. Oh, I thought you were going to say they never explained why Rogue got Jubilee's story in the first <laughs> X-Men movie. So bitter. All of them seem so eager to just punch Heather Langenkamp in the face. So judgmental. Them, not you. <laughs> what a cunt. <laughs> this is the doctor's heel turn. Like full oh, on. No, this is the full on heel turn here. Oh, yeah, the, the syringe. Yeah. How oh, they play the, the switcheroo with the syringes. Because you can just do this to a child. Yeah. <laughs> you aren't opening yourself up to the all kinds of legal troubles. Well, it was a different time, Reed. Yeah. It was. The party was never going to end. <laughs> Ace of Base was on the radio. Earthquakes were falling by the wayside. Look at the babysitter standing her ground. Oh. That shit-eating grin. The staff of this hospital. (laughs) Again, they work in L.A. We have no grasp of what they see on a daily basis. They know what's better for their patients than than we do. The babysitter getting her her chance to shine. Yes, the cut to the yawn. A staple of any great Nightmare on Elm Street film. Meanwhile, <laughs> do yet. Do you think Kevin Bacon shows his kids the first Friday the Thirteenth? <laughs> it's becoming more and more pronounced in between takes that Wes Craven just has you know gray color too on a paintbrush <laughs> and is just running it through her hair. <laughs> you gotta give. Heather Langham props for the patience, the restraint that she shows in this in this scene. To be fair, there's two armed guards right there. Yeah, we've seen the the nightmare movies. <laughs> You're not getting near that kid. I mean, like I like to call my lawyer. Yeah, <laughs> that should be the immediate go to. Oh lord! Now she Just needs to slap him. Start slapping the <laughs> shit out of him. She'll be like, remember what happened to your dad when he fell asleep? Jesus. He doesn't know that yet. That was too much for him. <laughs> <laughs> That's the foster care suggestion. 
some harsh shit. So this is the other thing, like for the this movie, and I understand it's trying to be different from the other ones, but like this is the second kill in the movie, and we're almost done. Yeah. Well, like, there's I, been I that. like the green hat. Yeah, the hat's dope. It's so obvious the that he's no longer wearing makeup, just a prosthetic. This this scene is awesome though. This is yeah, yeah. it's rubbery. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know, just. This scene rules, though. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you like the overcoat? His, his flasher I mean, it's a, it's a Freddy for a new generation. <laughs> yeah. It's the 90s. Finally. Yeah, the Langkamp. Little. Yellow. Different. I do fucking love here the, the bitch doctor's moment of realization. <laughs> She's like... My God, she was telling the truth all along. It's D. Freddy. And this is obviously meant to be a throwback to the, the first right. one. It looks cool. That, that, you know, him walking on the walls. <laughs> Nico Hughes, scarred forever. I don't know as much about this. I assume they did the same thing with this one, the rotating room. Yeah. Obviously, much bigger budget can make it look. Uh... <laughs> oh Throwback to the the playground sequence. Like just the little <laughs> tap of the head. He was somehow able to. <laughs> okay, it took maybe, him so maybe long not. to run down the hall <laughs> that call for Rex was maybe not his best moment <laughs> oh god she's dead She goes, we're gonna Wilkinson. need a bigger babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> this doctor's nurse is—I don't know who this actress is. Now she's helpful. It's not good. Like how? With all of that—is <laughs> that the last we see of the doctor? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that was a good facial expression to go out on. Um, she should have redeemed herself by going out and confronting Freddy. She has to stop and like put her ticket in to get the game to race. <laughs> Again, who do you call? John Saxon. I mean, naturally. Now, if, if I'm directing this scene, it's the same exact shot, but there's just multiple beautiful women in bed with him <laughs> <laughs> because he's John Saxon. Okay, so this is oh, this is where I, we become. I hate this scene. Really? Frighteningly no, aware I, of the great concept, the special effects. It's ruins this. I guess I like the idea so much that I I was willing to look past. The we were past shifty. Jurassic Park at this point. We had Jesus, you're CGI. right. Um, so, but the oh, oh this yeah no I thought you were talking about the cars. The budget was well, already yeah, cast. The cars, the like the green oh, screen with the cars. And then there's like the the extras wearing the Freddy. Look at that. <laughs> it's all right. 
Yeah, we're going to get the extra Freddies in a second, I think. <laughs> so where did we already cash in the budget? What? what? John Saxon. Because <laughs> <laughs> this whole scene is a great idea in principle. but he, he had Wes over a barrel. He said, you can't make this without me. <laughs> you can't fire me, Wes. <laughs> oh, and the, the 18-wheeler jackknifes this shot. Here it comes. Dark Knight's got nothing on this. Oh, oh. gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that does, doesn't. Oh, it's Jesus. Oh it looks yeah, good, man. I mean, it, most of it looks <laughs> decent enough that you can follow the action. If this was really L.A., the guy would not. He would have kept going. I was going to say, Kurt Hawkins gets out of the car <laughs> really quick. It's really quick, but even then you could see that they didn't have enough of the good masks. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> maybe a half a second shot. And yeah. The Walmart quality. Yeah. One of them is a Shatner. <laughs> <clears throat> That was an exciting set piece. Yeah. I, I, it's it was somehow it wasn't as long as I remembered it. I remember the first time I saw this movie that, uh, or the most recent time I should say that went on forever because it looked so bad. But watching it with y'all, it's only like two minutes. I think that Reed set the tone because he started with just like this looks like shit, <laughs> and then <laughs> we were we were not prepared. For he how started with look. the verbal Hugh Grant eye roll. <laughs> Here we go. I bet you if I was waiting for you. I left my orgy. (laughs) Here's the final turn into just... (laughs) How dumb are you? (laughs) Yeah, sure. Just got to him on the phone with the cops, like, help me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does call the cop. He calls the head nurse back in the hospital. <laughs> you are right. Get over here right away. I, I'm going to keep her here. So this is pretty cool. Leave that, him alone. Well, he's got his toy back, so. Or also that just, he starts calling her Nancy. No, that's, yeah, that's the whole point. It's, yeah. I mean, we do. The, the realities we jest a lot with like what we've been watching so far but i really love how it all kind of blends together here at the end yeah and they're coming out of the house like in the front Uh of the first movie i can't really imagine how that it's good how audiences at the time would have See, but he had watched an L- this. He had an LAPD badge there at Springwood, Ohio. Well, it's an amalgamation. Do you think, uh, in a, uh, obviously excluding Freddy Krueger, the pedophile that you all killed, <laughs> the fact that it came out the same weekend as Pulp Fiction, do you think the fact that this was so uh, different definitely hurt its do you think if it had just been a normal nightmare movie, it would have done better? Uh, I don't know, because the time for those movies had come and gone. Um, 
So basically, J- you, Jason goes to hell. Didn't it do anything? You think everyone that was going to see it saw it? Yeah. I wonder if uh, some people felt that it was just, you know, they they heard about it being self-referential and they took it as just Wes Craven jerking off and didn't give it a chance, you know? Maybe. Because if you hear about it and you're like, oh, it's about the making of a new Nightmare on Elm Street yeah. movie, you you don't think of this movie. You know, it, this is not what you think of. I'm not sure that cynicism really existed at that point. <laughs> it was a different part, time. The party was still going <laughs> <off>. <laughs> um, But that, yeah, that is a curious thing. I guess you're right, because I, I, I always thought uh, Jason Goes to Hell was after this. But if it was before and that movie was not good and it tried something kind of similar to this it, it, in the terms of like throwing the franchise on its head. But still trying to maintain some sense of loyalty, of course, it did in the sense of uh, I've only seen it once. But if I remember correctly, what that movie did was it said that Jason could be anybody. It was just a curse. Right. Mm-hmm. In this one, it's the heart. The coroner yeah. eats the heart. It's- the Kane Hodder plays the coroner, if I remember yes. correctly. Yeah. I think that was the first Jason movie that I watched beginning to end. Jason goes to hell. Yeah. Why? Because my friends and I were renting no horror movies. These like movies and franchises <laughs> don't do it for you. You just, you, you, di- you got to get in or go in order. Whoever introduced you did it wrong. <laughs> yep. TV's unplugged. I mean, I enjoyed it for what it was. <laughs> I've seen it once. It was all right. So this is, at this point, kind of dream world, but not quite, right? No, I think we're fully in the, yeah, she's back in. Because um, she's about to take the sleeping pills. It. Yeah, the hypnosis. It's like, it's not the real world, but it's not where Freddy is. Because yeah. she needs to find her way to Freddy's realm where things will get batshit crazy so really yeah i just realized the kill count i hadn't even thought about that read but it's minimal yeah we're down to what we're at two people and i think that's it right for the movie her husband and her babysitter so that's pretty impressive the moral of this is do not get close to heather langenkamp (laughs) she even kind of like I guess maybe just the way they're lighting it. She looks younger there. Mm-hmm. Like they're doing a lot to really. Rex. Okay. So three casualties. Yeah. If you count Rex. <laughs> and Rex got it the worst out of all. <laughs> Throw back to Hansel and Gretel. That's cool. So remember the first time you watched this? At this point in the movie, do you have any idea where it was going to go? No. This kind of like trained you to just expect anything. Yeah, because it goes insane here at the end. Because they've done 
this kind of ending before where like uh three they go into freddy's realm or whatever you want to call it uh but it doesn't get yeah as well i think like even beyond that of course you you kind of have an idea of well we're heading into some sort of confrontation between her and freddy for for the life of her son yeah but then after that, what happens? Like, I know I was watching and I was like, but how do you wrap it up she in a way that's satisfying? Yeah, she's definitely in her um, <clears throat> Valley of the Dolls phase right well, here. That shouldn't be there. Yeah, she's <laughs> slide down it. I mean, that looks like fun. With a knife. I love the progression of this. This is like my favorite part of the movie. Just keeps getting darker and darker and nastier and nastier. (laughs) (laughs) Freddy falls. This is what I mean. It just gets absolutely bonkers. I like that. This was the, this was where Freddy was like living the whole time. (laughs) Is this where the budget went? I guess that's they skimped on that highway scene to just build this massive <laughs> Freddy verse in, in the spare bedroom at Wes Craven's castle. The original proposal in '94 when New Line and Universal was going to merge was this would be an exhibit at Universal Studios. That would be awesome. That would be amazing. But they own so much now. Universal does their every October, they have like their Halloween Horror Nights. Yeah, yeah. And they have Freddy and Jason and Michael Myers. And I'm not sure how the legality of all that works out, but they do it. I know they have something something to do with uh, House of a Thousand Corpses, which is funny because they were family theme park in there. Well, the what's funnier about it from a nerdier perspective is they were the studio that originally financed that movie, watched what Rob Zombie made and said, nope. We would like our money back. <laughs> and then in the end, they own it again. Do they have Rob Zombie on Wednesday nights? Just kind of emceeing? Yes. <laughs> he operates as uh, Scooby-Doo on Wednesday nights. <laughs> <laughs> I love that they basically laid this out like the map of a first person shooter from 1994. And Freddy is the boss. <laughs> it's like the Doom first person. You just oh, get, yeah. Like the Freddy mask. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> okay, so we talked about this when we did the original. Did you ever play the Nightmare on Elm Street video game on NES? I've never played it. No. Okay. I played the Friday the 13th one. Uh, Everybody never, has. Yeah. yeah, but never. No. I saw it once at a game over. It was in the case. Um, oh, so like super expensive. It was like 40 bucks. And I was like, that's just not worth it for something that would just sit on the shelf. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Having seen the Dream Warriors recently, that game makes a lot more sense. Now. Because you play kind of basically versions of them. Mm-hmm. Like the Wizard yeah. Kid and yeah. If you just hang out by the third sandstone and just punch, you'll be all right. (laughs) 
So here's this is probably the weakest part of the movie for me, not visually because I think it looks Snakes, great, classic. But just the idea that it's one of those things where Freddy has the power to kill her right away, and instead but, he but just Freddy's thing is he toys with his victims. But I think he toys too much in this one. <laughs> Great girl power moment. I love how even in his realm, he doesn't have control. Yeah. And he's afraid of fire. Well, I guess arguably because she's special. Lust? Oh, the sins. kid sidekick oh look completely through his leg nasty (laughs) now really play down the sex offender angle in this movie <laughs> that was they, all they ever really did was suggest in the first one um but they, even the, they dropped it he's just like oh he's a child murderer that's a lot more fun but in the in the sequels uh even if they don't refer to him as a pedophile anymore uh he the way he behaves you know like there's yeah. like sexual overtones in in a lot of his threats, and then in the brilliant 2010 remake, they uh, oh, they went hardcore, amplify it to a thousand. Yeah, <clears throat> look at that slow mo. <laughs> it's like fuck this, like, jump in the furnace. Mako Hughes is fearless. Okay, so see, this is what I mean. Like, Freddy, in his realm, he has the power to just get this kid, right? This is not him toying with him. This is him just kind of forgetting that his abilities allow him to really stretch his hand and grab him. Uh, But then he remembers it pretty quickly here. And then takes his sweet time doing it. Yeah. I mean, the rules of this, I'm not 100% certain. I think they're kind of fluid. (laughs) <laughs> look at that practical effect love it it's like uh, Mr. Fantastic in the Fantastic Four movie looks a lot better than... <laughs> wait the Roger Corman one or the they all look the same in the quicksand stairs nice throwback <clears throat> still never seen the Roger uh, Roger Corman Fantastic Four <laughs> it's on YouTube the whole thing yeah <clears throat> Don't they? Doesn't it end with them like riding away in a car together? They, it's uh, uh, Sue Storm and Reed Rogers' wedding, um, and they get in the limo, and as the limo drives off through the sunroof, the ex- his arm extends out and waves goodbye. That's right, <laughs> and it's like it's like a pool noodle with a glove <laughs> on it. This after they will always be together. Musical number. Oh Jesus! I forgot how terrifying that shot is. 
They just told me go huge. CG is yeah. snaps back shut. Yeah, just put your head in that mouth. Okay, so I don't remember how they finally vanquish him. Well, it has something to do with fire. <clears throat> but he's still got to do his blah, 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 tongue moment. Ah, there it is. This is probably the most sexual he gets in the movie. So nasty. <laughs> Is that like a staple of the series? Like the the practical effect tong yeah, thing? Yeah, it's part three. It's that kind of famous. I mean, it, it definitely in two, they have a more <laughs> pattern to it. No, no, no. <laughs> I like that he still has some kind of muscle control <laughs> that he's trying to avoid it. Oh. I uh, love this because for the rest of the movie, he has the bifurcation like he has the, the tongue split into yeah see? <laughs> <laughs> oh i guess this is it right yeah they yeah. trap him and he's just like the at this moment they, in time they got the witch in the oven he's realizing <laughs> How could I be this fucking dumb? <laughs> but yeah, he becomes Satan and then, yeah, it explodes. It was at this As moment in did. time that Freddy realized <laughs> maybe playing with them was not smart. There's some like Indiana Jones sort of ending. Yeah, it seems clear that we answered our own question. We talked about the freeway scene and where'd the budget go. It was definitely in this closing they split set. split it between this and John Saxon's salary. <laughs> Originally, John Saxon would swing on a rope and rescue them. <laughs> right. Let them go, Kruger. <laughs> so this is pretty Your awesome. madness must not unwatched go. <laughs> I really love how they just tie it all together at the end. Just the, the whole thing with the script. I never oh, noticed yeah. the gray hair thing. Really? Yeah. They even mention it. Like, I know. Ooh, the yeah. babysitter points it did out. Did you but... literally not notice it until just the shot? No, no. no. I mean, like, I did. <laughs> oh, but okay. like this viewing. I even made a rogue joke. <laughs> <laughs> this viewing is when I noticed it. And there, there it is. So I really like that. That note. Because it humanizes so, it. And, well, yeah, yeah, and it plays in that story, but it also plays in our world. You know, it's like she came back to the franchise in yeah. our world one last time. So, if for some reason you're not watching the movie with this, they're reading the script now, and it's what happened throughout the course of the movie. And Miko Hughes says, is it a story? But do you see that there? She was on the last page, and now in this wide shot again, she's back on the first page. Don't ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> All they right. just lived this hell. They're, she's going to read the whole story. <laughs> You're going to relive your dad being murdered by this spirit. Demon. I never like understood. There's clearly smoke billowing outside the house that they don't address. And I've never really understood what that is or why not. It's another it's, earthquake. It's L.A. It's L.A. Why, why anyone would live there? <laughs> Thank God we're back in L.A. where people care about each other. 
<laughs> All right, so we're getting ready to fade to the credits here. And one of the things I strategically planned out to close out this commentary track is Reed was grateful to do this with us. There's no, uh, I mean, to cut you off, it's a score. Like, starting all the Nightmare movies had songs at the end, and then three has Dream Warriors by Dog, right. which is like the greatest movie theme song ever. So this is another notch, knock against this one is that there's not, you know. Well, I got to set itself apart. So three, even more. Three has Dawkin. Uh, four has Sinead O'Connor over the end credits. Five has, uh, I want to say Cool Moody. The Cool Moody Simpson. Which one has oh, the Cranberries' uh, dream? Top credit. Has what? Which one has the Cranberries' uh, dream? This, this, this would have been time appropriate for it. <laughs> there you go. Period appropriate. Did Robert England get top billing? He did. Finally. Because you're a liar. How liar. Where does John Saxon get? All the money. No, I'm just curious as to where he comes. So they did Robert England, Heather Langenkamp. Nico Hughes. Oh, so he's going to get the and. Oh, yeah. He'll get the. With. Who's David Newsom? The husband. He played the husband. uh, The husband. Introducing the babysitter, she was the babysitter, the doctor. So he is getting <laughs> the end, isn't he? Fran Bennett has to be the doctor. Fran Bennett has to be the doctor. Yeah. And John with with Wes Craven. <laughs> with Wes Craven as Wes Craven. I thought that looks like an Irwin. <laughs> <laughs> A classic Irwin. So closing out here, I've strategically laid off discussion of Joker on uh, the episodes we've recorded since we've seen it, just to kind of round this out. Because Reed, I, I was always I, that's its own like yeah multi part <laughs> episode. That's the whole point. I'm I'm basing this with about a five minute context. So uh, oh, of course, Mary Mary Jane Fort. Um, compared to New Nightmare. <laughs> I would say New Nightmare is the superior picture. Thank you. I would agree. Not even trying to be funny. <laughs> um, well, in as far as entertainment value, definitely. So surface level review, because th- that was basically my whole idea of keeping it away from uh, one of the sequential episodes of the podcast we do just because it would just it would take on a life of its own and just get out of control. So I guess surface level review of Joker. Freddy's hand double gets first billing. It's enough of an order of appearance. Reed, what would you? There's a lot of himself and herself. So, yeah, I'm trying to. I am listening to what you're saying. I'm just trying to remember. So, Tuesday night, Nick Corey was uh, the guy from the first one. Okay. So, maybe they only had those couple people. There were a couple Easter eggs. (laughs) Those were the the two that were like, (laughs) and you called both of them out. We need you for an (laughs) afternoon. So, I think it's kind of the what get me LaPaglia. So surface level review of Joker, like with what Joaquin Phoenix is very, very good in it. And the movie overall is not very good. (laughs) (laughs) What would you give it? I don't know how you rate things, Reed. Like, do you do numbers? Do you do stars? I really like letters. If y'all ever want to do a full episode on it, I'm I'm there. Um, Although I think. See what you've created, Alex. three of us had negative feelings so i think you would need a counterbalance because i think i can people sitting around right bashing it's kind of boring um i can i can play devil's advocate to it um but 
you know, in the end, it's not I'm not in love with the movie the way that other people I, are. I will say this in case we don't end up doing a full length episode. It would be hilarious it's if we end up doing a Joker for episode. Every fucking iteration of Batman and they sneak in and at the end, the Waynes have to be killed. The and pearls. they have that shot of the pearls. It's. Yeah, it's not good. And I think that's part of the reason I wanted to save it for this particular segment, just because it very, very likely could lead itself to its own episode. Um, but we all agree it's not good. Joaquin Phoenix is good. Y'all did blowout, right? Yes. Um, At the end, when the riots are going on in Gotham and the Waynes are running out of the theater, it's blowout on the marquee. Yeah. Oh. Um, so they took a little kid to see blowout. I mean, well, I t- the thing maybe I, it was uh, it, it was alternating. A piece of shit in the movie. My but, thing was know. also the um, when they go to the movie theater when Joker walks in and they're playing Modern Times that they're yeah. watching. It's like what fucking year is this? I'm just trying to think of who the potential in memory of could be at the end of this movie. I know there's not going to be one, but I'm just trying to think of who would have oh, died in 1993 or who may be associated with the franchise. Um, well, you know, we just watched Mute and it was, uh, no, it wasn't Mute. Ew, no, it was Mute when he, he, uh, in love and memory of my parents or something, yeah. right? Yeah. He dedicated the movie to both of his parents that had not recently passed. Anyway, <laughs> I was going to say it would be a crime if we end up doing a Joker episode with Reed before we do a Dick Tracy episode with Reed. No, yeah, that's the end game. <laughs> no that's, pun intended. That's the series finale. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, Reed got in his line. My line about the Joker is very similar. It's a very, very confused and disjointed movie with one good performance in it. Julio, how do you? Um, I well, first off, like I'll agree that Hooking Phoenix is great in it, and then I just I kind of like mentioned it, and oh fuck, our Adventureland episode comes after this, right? Because it was when I brought up the idea of uh, uh, the Joker as a Rorschach test of a movie, uh-huh. <laughs> comparing it to Adventureland also as a Rorschach test of a movie, <laughs> but in different different ways. But the idea that you know a lot of uh, your experience in a movie with a movie has to do a lot sometimes with what you bring to that movie. So in the case of Adventureland, not to spoil it for people, but you know Alex liked it a lot more than I did because there was a lot of stuff that he related to uh, there that I didn't really relate to because of my life experiences compared to his and with joker what i've kind of found is that the people that really really love it they it it feels a little like it's not so much because of the movie but rather what they bring with them when they go watch the movie which is a valid experience to have at the you know when watching a film that's of course you know it's like art it's supposed to elicit reactions based on your life experiences but uh in the case of Joker, it just feels more pronounced than usual. You know, when people tell me, well, I saw this in this in, in the movie and I saw this and I saw this. And I was like, you know, I didn't see it. I saw little things that would trigger that they, from you. They, they but, didn't see it either. <laughs> <laughs> but you can, you know, but there's something that triggered. There's nothing. To, that movie doesn't say anything. But I think that it plants the seeds for a lot. losing my religion. Yeah, I mean, a of a better movie i could agree with you but it's not a good movie so i think the problem and i mentioned this to read uh when we're here for your party your last party uh i think that one of the problems is that it uh constantly makes you think of better movies you know and it's not just the the taxi driver king of comedy things you know but even like like you mentioned like modern times you know it's like 
it's almost like the movie's going out of its way to to make me think of better movies. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even catch Blowout, but <laughs> it's uh, it's fine, I guess. You know, I didn't hate it. I, I felt it was <laughs> kind of, oh, there it is. Alex, Greg Fonseca in memory of. No idea. Cool. <laughs> um. I felt it was it was very oppressive in the way that you know i don't know 90 percent of the movie is just like look how shitty his life is it was yeah. very lazy yeah. and, uh not lazy what's the lowest common denominator i guess it was uh and there's no part of the movie that doesn't completely hold your hand through the entire thing it thinks it's very profound um again yeah i'm saving my ammo for <laughs> if you guys ever the long-winded that. yeah so, yeah, I just kind of want to touch on that because exactly to what you just said, Reed, this, it could get away from us and cover an entire hour or more of uh, discussion. When so, it wins Best Picture in three months, that's going to be a tough bill. <laughs> like you said, Todd Phillips getting a director nom is going to be something. Uh, so, New Nightmare, I think we are all in agreement. It's fun. It's, it's an interesting and uh, I think kind of overreaching movie. It kind of it i don't try too hard sounds rude um no it's uh uh ahead of its time great idea ahead yeah. of its time i think some of the execution is lacking um i mean yeah. would it do better if you release the exact same movie today well, not with those effects it'd be, <laughs> it'd be laughed off the screen okay you know the with with you know the the equivalent effects and today but I, it's sort of I like story and better received and uh, you know I, not on pulp fiction weekend yeah i i don't know what the future holds for any of these because they're saying a thing I, I read something this week or last where wes craven's estate is now like entertaining the idea of like oh we want to continue the franchise somehow or but a Netflix know, like, series. The Halloween Halloween was successful, and that's probably where they're going. Like, oh shit, that made a lot of money, so now we need to do it. But like, yeah. the first attempt at a Halloween reboot was awful, and the Friday the Thirteenth and Nightmare um, Nightmare reboots were awful. And it's like maybe these were just movies that can only exist in the time they existed. You know, I mean, this new it nightmare, just, it feels like a nice final chapter. To me, like if, yeah. you know, it was a nice way to just. And part of the thing, too, is like the movies like in the 80s, they were really low budget. They're, they were kind of made really quickly. And that's part of the charm of them, too. You know, nowadays, everything goes through so much studio oversight and everything. I mean, everything's a product. There's no. I mean, and these were products too, don't get me wrong, but I, I don't know. It's just like, maybe they just could only exist in their time and maybe that's the only time they should exist. In. They should use that effort to potentially think of something original. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're well past that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Julio, any closing thoughts? I really like it. Four stars out of five. The redemption of Heather Langenkamp, not that she owes me anything, but you know, after... <laughs> Disliking her performance in uh, the original Nightmare and not really being crazy about it. Here's the thing. When I watched Dream Warriors, I thought that was going to be it. I thought, man, this is going to be Heather Langenkamp coming back into the franchise and really winning me over. And so I was really bummed when that didn't happen. And then uh, 
so I came into New Nightmare expecting to not be wowed by her performance again. And instead, she was great. And that's really my main takeaway. It's yeah. like, man, that was a good high note <laughs> for for this one-sided relationship to go out on. It's like yeah. you'd have to IMDB it, but I I don't know what she really did after this. Um I mean, because really she only she had these movies and she had that TV show she was on and that was kinda it. Um she's good in this. Yeah, this is my favorite uh, nightmare movie. I mean, it's it works on all for all the things we jested about during the recording, which are you know somewhat deserved. It's my favorite one. It's the most engaging and the one I enjoy the most. Um, if you take Scream out of the question, what's your favorite one? Scream Four. If you take the Scream <laughs> franchise, um, shit, I like this a lot. I don't know. I vampire. And- yeah, I was gonna say vampires, but that's Carpenter. Yeah, like you said, the it's more difficult to choose a Carpenter than it is a, a Craven. Yeah, but uh, Shocker. Yeah, Shocker's entertaining. She's in it, right? Heather Langenkamp. I haven't seen it, but I was. I remember like going. Is she, does she have like a cameo? Or I is guess. She actually in it? I Maybe they're playing uh, yeah. Nine on Elm Street in the, in the background. The unplugged TV. So that was New Nightmare. Reed, we always appreciate having you on. Appreciate you joining us for another commentary track. See you again in a year. Yes, when, <laughs> when we do Joker. <laughs> after it sweeps. There you go, a commentary for Joker. At this point, that's what it's going to have to be. because it I, breaks Return of the King's record. Because I'm not going to voluntarily watch that movie just by myself again. So it'll have to be something like a commentary track. But Otherworlds Austin, we'll have all the links uh, in the... Uh, the post and this comes out before next Thursday, right? Yes. yes. This yeah. one does shouldn't take a ton of no. Time no. No, 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 no. Yeah. We're rushing this one through post. Yeah. Much like the highway sequence in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's the perfect note to end. That's what I was about to say. That's gonna wrap us up for the contrarians for commentary track number two. We will catch y'all next time in the numeric sequential series. Thank you for listening. That summer of 1999